This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. Today, I'm joined by Eric Matson, who is the chairman and CEO at Transverse Insurance Group based up in New York City. Eric, welcome to the show. It's great to have you join us today. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Eric, I know we've been talking for quite a while about having you on the podcast and really looking forward to hearing more about the great work that you're doing there at Transverse. Would you mind though, before we move on to those questions, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background and your career and how you went about setting up the business? Sounds great. I think like many people fell into insurance. So if I really take a step back, I was actually at a young age trying to become a professional footballer, what you would call football, what we would call soccer. Soccer, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm actively involved in the game still. I'm on a sub board of US soccer and I just love the game. And what happened, the league that I was going into and have negotiations basically fell apart. It was the predecessor of the MLS, it was called the NASL. And so I decided, I have to go to school now. And I went to school for a degree in economics and then did some active duty military time and then came out and I had a baby on the way. So I went to my godfather, who actually happened to be the chairman, I mean, the CEO of Freddis James International, which was a big player. And his father actually owned the largest insurance brokerage at one time, independent brokerage in the city of London that Lord Mountbatten was an advisor into. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah. I went, his name was Peter Rodaway. So I went, Peter, I need a job. And he goes, okay, call me back. You know, goes three days later, he goes, you're going to go down to this place called Cigna. You're going to talk to this particular person, but you're going to go into their underwriting program. I had no idea what underwriting was. Yeah, you know, I just, okay, I needed a job. <laughs> so, and lo and behold, that's what I did. And so I was there for a few years and went to a commercial lines underwriting trainee program and then ultimately went to business school and then joined a, a highbrow consulting firm called Booz Allen and Hamilton, which is a big strategy type firm. And I was very fortunate that I was able to make my way paralleling on the insurance. Initially, I mean, different projects, but I ultimately stayed in what they call the FIG group, the financial group, basically, and worked with insurance companies, reinsurers, and asset management companies to a lesser extent. Fast forwarding, you know, roughly about seven and a half years later, I ended up joining a client. At that time, it was American Re, but Munich Re. Yep. And to my great fortune, because I, I have a great deal of regard for Munich Re in any fashion, I mean, I think they're one of the most astute technical trainers of underwriters, um, certainly, uh, obviously, on the reinsurance side. I had a, a great fortune to do many different things there. So I started off as a uh, overseeing a strategy group and then uh, for a short stint became the chief investment officer when they had some change before my boss, who was a gentleman at that time called Wolfgang Engschuber. He's now with the UN in a pretty interesting role, asked me to go to Germany. And I went to Germany. I took a flyer. My family and I moved and went there for almost four years, um, where initially I was responsible for running a project overlooking and change, uh, transforming the single risk business globally. And that's a certain kind of, it's either what they call facultative or single risk or treaty or the two major types of reinsurance that you could do. And then about halfway through on a recommendation to my boss, who's still on the board of, of management at Munich, I made a recommendation that they really scale back the project and focus on German-speaking countries because it was going to change in places ranging from London market, US, Latin America, Tokyo, EU, et cetera. 
and they're very diverse. So I, I, he goes, uh, I, and I, I chuckle when I think about this. He goes, Eric, you, you may have put yourself out of a job. And I said to him, his name was Thomas. I said, well, Thomas, the worst is you're going to send me home. <laughs> and uh, lo, you know, the next thing happened a couple of days later, Thomas asked me to come to his office and I met two individuals I was going to spend the next two years working with. First, one person still in the role there is Andreas Mueller and another guy named Tom uh, Rupert Flatcher, who we were the three first people to form Munich Re's Capital Markets Group. So all the cap bonds, ILS and like, and I really focused on how do we actually do the business development of this and what also would be how we think about the U.S. when we move back as well as getting involved mm-hmm. in a couple first transactions. And then I ended up making my way back to the U.S., worked in a, a regional treaty underwriting groups so for all seasons that were $2 billion or less, um, as well as then ultimately ended up in the primary side of the business before I left Munich Re, in which I was responsible for business development over programs and um, new product development and somewhat inward bound business. So a new product would have been at that time renewable energy, right? We're putting together a warranty product for renewable energy. So I, I was very fortunate to be able to get some really alternative um, types of experiences, I have the best way to say. I left there after about almost a decade and did a startup. My real first startup was WTCI, which is now called GenCat. Yeah. And the, the professionals that are in that business, I was not, right? I was the guy who went there more like an investment, but also the investment in learning about the wholesale side until some of the professionals, including John Jennings, who's still running the, you know, that, the entity, and they've done incredibly well under his leadership, were able to come in. He was on garden leave and some light. So, so I was there a little less than three years, and then I joined AIG as the CEO of the specialty business for all emerging markets. So I was about 55 countries globally, 60-some odd entities. And AIG, like in many ways, has re, you know, redid the, the, uh, the leadership pool, and my boss left, and he ended up going to Mercer. He was, he was the former CEO of Mercer yeah. until recently. And so I ended up doing stuff like distribution into Russia, Middle East, Africa, Central Europe, and I kept moving, they kept moving me more westward. Long story short, I finished up as the president of the Americas on a segment basis, probably about seven and a half billion responsible for all lines of business for a certain size company. So AIG is really a large account or was a large mm-hmm. account entity. Um, I was working with companies that had 75 million US turnover or less, as well as the global SME role and uh, oversight of Lexington's $1.1 billion program business. Um, so I was at AIG until my boss, Peter Eastwood, left. And at that point, I decided then that I wanted to really go back on my own. I really had the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. bent view inside of me. And I met Dave Paulson, who will come back in the story very shortly. Uh, but we started doing things. We formed our own capital markets advisory group and, and to help defray some of the startup costs, as well as you know put ourselves out there. I ended up doing a couple contractual kinds of relationships. One of them was with... Um, Helping uh, Allianz with Fireman's Fund look at what their options were, and then ultimately, you know, they broke up shortly thereafter. I got involved working with AXA, helping them think through their U.S. strategy and the U.S. team and Deloitte, which was putting their strategy together, and then subsequently the, the Excel, and we really helped them put together their SME strategy as an example. And then Dave and I ended up joining forces to we did some other things that you know, our names are not on, but we got involved in, and we then became operating partners at partners at Virgo, responsible for all the global insurance investing. Which was a nice marriage of all that. And Dave's background is, you know, fantastic in the finance and alternative investment world. And so what we did then um, ended up moving into setting up transverse. So that's sort of a, the long way, that, you know, there's dots along the way. I guess the, the, for me, the thing that's always been uh, a unique, or not a unique, uh, but a, a common thread is to search out those things that, you know, you may or may not want to do, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't know where they would go, but take the advantage of learning and trying to do different things as well. 
you worked at two huge global corporate businesses like Munich Re, AIG. How did you find that process on each of those occasions? It's difficult, right? You know, you hear the adage where like if you're going to hire somebody into a startup, a lot of times see if they've already done it once, right? Let them go the second mm. go around. I don't believe that fully. I think it's much more individualistic. Mm. Certainly, if somebody has that experience, it's great. Um, most difficult the first time, right? Because you're doing everything, no matter what your role is, right? You know, even in the role where we now have, you know, close to 40 people, I still do a lot of different things that in the big world you would not necessarily do, right? So I think there's an adjustment there that has to go. But more than anything, you really have to change your mindset, mm -hmm. you know, as to what it is and how you're doing and really think a lot less around boundaries, right? Because again, in larger companies, you have this department, this department, this group, that group. And in a startup, you're all a group who are, you know, no matter how many people you have, right? So it's a mindset and an ability to be flexible. And then lastly, you're going to have ups and downs. Yeah. And you don't have a real big mom and pop to, you know, weather those ups and downs to sort of pat you on the back. You know, you just got to dust yourself off and get up and go. And mm -hmm. you will have those. Fantastic. Thank you, Eric. I think that's a really, really great and interesting story. And like so many of insurance leaders out there, falling into the industry and, you know, looking back on things, you know, how successful that journey and that time has been. I imagine when you first started out, that road wasn't perhaps looking so prominent. Eric, can I ask you about Transverse? So, so what does Transverse do and where is the business now at the moment? Sure, Nick. So if we take that part where I started my initial uh, monologue is we about now a little over three years old actually officially three years old in October, but we started prior there a little bit. So we're a little bit over three, year old, three years old and running. And we started literally with a white sheet of paper. Yeah. Ergo is a PE firm, but they've been the very uncharacteristic PE thing to say, let's fund this from the beginning. So we ended up, um, Virgo's are the primary sponsor. We actually have other LPs. And so we raised capital. And then from there, began to put together, we bought a shell for the admitted, ultimately a shell for the non-admitted. We've gone through the rating process. We've just recently been reaffirmed again this April with our A minus for both the at the group level all the way down through both the other companies that we have as well. We've had a service company like many insurance companies do for various aspects. And for the first year, um, it took us quite a bit to, you know, getting all the processes, structure, people, and everything in. So we didn't have a very prolific, really, first year of writing. And, and, and it wasn't by design, but it, it became by design. And then the thing that happened next is we went full bore into our next literally rating of our um, non-admitted, which took a little bit longer, both from a standpoint of AMBEST was in the midst of what they do, their annual event. Uh, COVID had just started to come along February, beginning of March. We actually had our, got our rating a month into COVID of March. Um, so that's when we started our non-admitted. And so we really have been operating our non-admitted company a year and five months or so. So the reason why I say that's it's you know gives you it'll give you some benefit to what we'll shortly show, and we're then trying to build right. And there's many employees I still have not met face to face right because of just COVID and now starting to see them. We then began to accelerate our our platform. So at the end of the first quarter of this year, we did oh gosh more than all of last year combined by multiples. And we're running at a clip of well over two hundred to near you know three hundred million in premium, and I would expect us to be. You know, north of 400 is our, is our contracted premium by the end of this year. Um, I believe we're in a really strong position. Transverse, I didn't really define what it is, though, right? So what Transverse is, is what now has been termed a hybrid fronting carrier. I think we we're mm -hmm. one of the first where I coined that in a bit. And what that means is you have two opposite ends of the spectrum. You have a pure front, which means they take their paper, that admitted or non-admitted company, 
and for a fee provided to a uh, program administrator or managing general underwriter or uh, administrator. Yeah. And they take zero risk and all the risk is passed on to the reinsurance community. So 100% of the capacity is really supplied via the reinsurance community. A hybrid fronting carrier takes some level of risk. Typically, now it's very standard to be upwards of 10%. There's other players that are doing up to 20%. And that's, you know, the, you know, it's more transaction by transaction in some cases. We still have some that are not. There are a few that just take zero risk, right? And then the full end of that other spectrum is the heavy balance sheet. They keep all the risk or seed very little as well. And so Transverse views the world from a, a minimum a tri-spoked uh, stool. And that they are the MGA, who we mentioned, the reinsurer. And us, and our view is, is if any one of those do not are not successful, that stair is that chair is pretty un, you know rocky or not has the ability to topple over, right? So everybody has to win. So we spend a lot of time, really as much as any time, in the front end as we do with diligence before we get the implementation, making sure we really understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, what are the benefits, and how this how should this be done? We have well over four hundred years of expertise in insurance and reinsurance in the firm now. Fantastic. Do you operate in any specialist lines? What programs do you look to specialize in? Uh, great question, Nick. We are a general property casualty, you know, overall. So property casualty. And we do we do want to have specialty related lines, right? So if it's, uh, and that's the whole element of an MGA, right? So you have somebody who's writing just taxi cabs or commercial trucking, but a certain type of trucking, so on and so on. So we're very comfortable with all those different lines. Um, one of the areas where we do not really look at taking risk on or paper right now with cyber, mm. and in particular monoline cyber, because we just think it's so diverse, so different. Yeah. And there's a lot of problems that will have to emerge from it. And the area where we're not really uh, comfortable with the models as of yet is California wildfire as well, too. And, you know, we, we say anecdotally, you know, a couple of years ago, they had bad fires. The year late next year was worse. And this year, it's turning out to be one heck of a year, right? Yeah. Dixie yeah. Fires. So to answer your question, we're very comfortable in everything ranging from political risk, terrorism, to generalized property, uh, non-cat commercial property, cat property, but we typically won't take down the balance sheet, but there's ways to provide the appropriate level of structure, even thinking about the tail risk that we'll do, and certainly liability. And so by the end of the year, we'll have a relatively balanced portfolio of property casualty related, you know, probably a little heavier, more heavily weighted towards property. And that's because of a couple initial deals that we did as well. Great. Thank you, Eric. I think it's always great for our listeners to be able to understand a bit more about your background, but also as well what the business is doing. Eric, appreciate you're a very busy man. As we are in the insurance coffee house today, what's your go-to coffee of choice in the morning? I like a, a good, typically like a Colombian dark roast. That's what's sitting right here in my, that's uh, actually my my Yeti cup. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Nice strong coffee to start the like day. Coffee. Eric, if I can start off by asking you then, how did you break into the C-suite and how did you find that transition from your previous role, which might be more client focused, it might have been more technical focused. How did you find that transition breaking into the C-suite? It's actually... First off, it's great to have some type of mentorship, right? Some people that will help, you know, tutelage you along the way, mm. provide different things. But in many cases, sometimes it just becomes there's an opening and you are, you know, in essence, let's say the, the corporation or entity deems you qualified, right? Then they move you to. I, to your, to your exact point, I was very much heavily involved in, you know, heavy business relationship types of developments, underwriting um, before I moved into my first CEO kind of a role at AIG. Yeah. And AIG is a uh, sort of a sink or swim or was mm -hmm. um, kind of a culture, right? So you get in, you do it, right? You'll, your hand is tough day one. 
and they expect you to do that. And in many ways, that actually allows for less of a honeymoon and make you concentrate on what you think you need to do. And I think one of the very first things any new CEO coming in should do is, first and foremost, understand who your team is or what you would like, right? Yeah. And yeah. have somebody you feel very comfortable with having those informal kinds of conversations, right? So when the emperor's not wearing clothes, that they can at least tell you you're not wearing clothes because there's always that case, right? And then the second piece is, is you have to put along pretty rapidly that you're not there for a popularity contest. If people like you, that's great. You know, you, hopefully that could be the case. But at the end of the day, you're there for a job. Mm-hmm. And what you're trying to do is ensure the welfare of all those employees and that extended family that they live with, right, too. So if you're doing the appropriate job on a longer-term basis as you're beginning to mobilize and move forward, or if you're thrust into something that may that you have to do right away, that's who you're operating for, right? And then ultimately the shareholders, right, if it's a yes. public company or your investors. And you have to keep those in your mind at all times. So there's, there's no, I don't think, any simple playbook. Take a lot of assignments earlier in your career that gain you breadth of difference experiences where you get, you're pushed, forced to be pushed out of your comfort zone. And then I think, you know, make sure you have people related kinds of activities because that's what you do, right? This is a big part of people management as well. Eric, what would you say has been the biggest achievement so far in your leadership career? Uh, my children. Uh, but outside of that, I have five children. So it's... Uh, <laughs> going Put your hands full. <laughs> I, I, I actually think... Two points I can say. There's been many very highlights that have been very, very fortunate in my career. I've been incredibly lucky and I love what I do. So AIG, I had the opportunity to help really shift and change the SME business. And in particular, two areas that were lacking very strongly. And I had not really operated in the context of one was the Middle East and how we actually got that up and running uh, as well into Africa. And then some restructuring of some entities like Turkey, for example. And we were the roll of the clock forward after about 18 months forward, we actually had turned the Turkish business around where they were actually writing and they were writing to a combined ratio target where we'd like to see. And then we were actually able to do things in the Middle East. There are some things we had to shut down. There are other things that we're able to really prop up and build. So the Dubai entity, that's, for example, in AIG, you know, I, I feel I've had a hand in helping that get off the ground a bit, along with some other really incredible colleagues there. And then as well as I had a hand in helping restructure the South African business as an example. And those things left not only lasting impressions, but the people I met. And the last one has to be transverse, certainly, right? You know, it's been a, uh, we've had our certain bumps and roads and headwinds and everything else. Um, But I really feel fortunate to be working with the people I'm working with. And I actually believe that, you know, the majority of our employees, one way or another, will receive some kind of benefit from being here. And that Mm -hmm. to me is very pleasurable. So that's the high points. It's truly been a very successful career today, Eric, that's for sure. Has there ever been a time in your career where you've been overlooked for a position or an opportunity didn't quite go your way? How did you go about dealing with that? I think there is with everybody, right? So, you know, certainly I'm trying to think of specifically, you know, there were things I bet I would have liked to have possibly been uh, put up for at the Munich World in the U.S., yeah. And once I understood the fuller picture, I could understand what their the views were. So mm-hmm. one of the things I really did want to was be, be given a shot at the uh, U.S. CEO role for reinsurance. Right At that point, there was three individuals. I was one of the two that were actually helping to do a project for the, the CEO. And it became apparent at a certain point that wasn't going to happen. Now, they did it for the right reason, right? So Pina Albo came in and going on the board of... Munich and then ultimately, you know, what her story is, right? So I think it was wonderful. And I, I knew Pina from Germany prior to her being in the US. But that's tough to take, right? You know, if you're pushing in, you're there for a bit of time and do it. So I actually think you just take a step back, you understand what it is and you know what would be the things that you would like to do next and continue that that road and try not to be disappointed. 
you know, there's, there's a lot of things with life that parallels life, right? It's, it's easy to get the point, disappointed and fret on that as opposed to say, okay, I get it. Okay, now it's time to go. Great. Thank you, Eric. And moving into present day at Transverse, how are you adopting new technology into the business and how are you using that to really help your customers, whether they might be MGAs or program administrators? How, how are you using technology to benefit them? There's two primary ways, one inward and out, one external. So some of the internals, we have connected systems ranging from our accounting to a business intelligence platform called Cloverleaf. To on the business development, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, business business development side, we have Salesforce, but we've actually modified it for how we would use. And actually, I can't take any credit for seeing how that was used initially. I was at the uh, ITC conference in Las Vegas for InsurTech, and we saw State Farm do a presentation along with Salesforce on what they've done with Salesforce or State Farm. Yeah, I was so impressed. So we said, listen, we if we need to do a little bit of this stuff here, it can help us greatly. So we've actually now taken all of our business development, all of our contacts, all the meetings we have, all the different pieces now as part of our routine of having that go in and we can utilize that. And that's that actually helped us helpful all the way through our board meeting. Externally, we've used tools that like SharePoint, where instead of asking for paper documents with MGAs as we're going through due diligence or the like, we actually provide portals. So they're able to take their time on their time to put into a portal. They have access to it as well. And we actually utilize technology in efficient fashion that way. Our goal is relatively shortly to take the business intelligence that we take from the Cloverleaf. So it's, a, it's all the programs we have, all the things you may want to look at, and then some, you know, in insurance and actually extend that back to our clients as well. Because in many cases, they a, don't look at it, let's say the way the carrier may, so they get a glimpse of that. But simultaneously, there are areas where we may have different expertise, right? So yeah. let's say yeah. looking at price leveling for an MGA, right? They can actually get that and help their business. Our goal is to help them win. Whatever we do, I want them to win. So if we're able to extend that technology into them, that's a great extension. Fantastic, Eric. Question that I've been wanting to ask you for a while, you know, with all your breadth of experience across the insurance industry in, in many different locations, I'd like to get your views on the future. What do you see as the major challenges ahead for insurance executives moving forward? And how should insurance executives be adapting to be successful in these times? First and foremost, I do love this industry. As I think many of my colleagues who in quotes fell into it as well have grown yeah. to it, right? I mean, it's an incredible industry. And I actually think one of the challenges and then it's also an opportunity in and of its aim is getting younger talent to be aware of this industry and having this be one of their choices to come into it. Yeah. Gamma Iota Sigma, I was on the board of that for a while, and that's what it focuses on, right? You know, for yeah. in terms of both colleges, universities, and programs, risk management, insurance, et cetera, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. science. But that's a smaller piece, right, in terms of what it is and could be. So I think that's a challenge, and we yeah. need to do that. And the industry has done some things. I think they have to actually do more action, right, yeah. you know, as opposed to getting in and really pushing it. So that's an opportunity. I do think executives in the insurance industry are going to have to be much more nimble and that's an overworked word. But if you take a look at what's happened even in the last three years in the advent of insured tech and things like a pandemic, so you have black swan events happening simultaneously, you are really being thrust into things that are unknown. Mm-hmm. And many old insurance companies, albeit they provide an incredibly strong position and capability in the insurance industry, are being forced to change. It'll take 30 or 40 insured techs to do the full value chain of a big insurance company, right? Like an, you know, again, AIG or et cetera. But what they do need to do is understand how they bring that in and use that. Mm-hmm. And it will be here. And matter of fact, there'll be ways that will begin to change in, in many cases, for example, on the distribution or a claims perspective. But that'll continue to accelerate. 
So an executive here for fast forwarding five years, you're going to have to understand that it's going to become a bit more fragmented. There'll be more technology that's infused and utilized appropriately. It's not just for a science experiment. And they're going to have to be able to understand that and then manage to a younger talent that is different from what they're used to, but also has the ability to be really powerful. Our interns, they're different. They're like the, the, you know, a lot of the you know, monikers you put around the younger folks to a person for the most part, though. I, I was watching a presentation this week and they ended their internship program for the summer. And I just remarked, I said, man, I like Tireball, right? Because they were just, it was, you could just see it, right? The, the intensity of where they are, they're starting out, they're not campered by different things. They've got great mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. That's going to be, I think, much more commonplace. Yeah. Right? And that, that'll be something insurance executives will have to harness. Eric, that's fantastic. And I know you certainly practice what you preach in regards to encouraging younger talent to come through. Could you share with our listeners a little bit more about your intern program? Because I know for a for a business with, you know, sort of sub 50 employees to have a rigorous and, you know, growing intern program, I think very much a great benefit to you as a company. Well, thank you. It's been a pet project of mine. I'm very lucky to have one, you know, we had one of my colleagues on, Rob Zarafa, um, as well as uh, Donald Scarletti, who heads up our human capital area, where they've really taken this and run. Mm. My first thing was, I want an intern program. And I want it to be basically all year, right? I want us to be have that first off, because I think it's great for the company, branding externally, as well as opportunity. But more importantly, you're getting those things that I mentioned, right? They come into the entity, they want to work, they work hard, very typically. And they really look at it a little bit differently as well. So they question you why you're doing things, which is not bad. So I think at the end of the day, our goal will always to be have a very vibrant internship program. One, I hope now that insurance, now that we're having a, a different variety of interns coming in from different schools and different places, they'll begin to talk about transverse itself. You know, that, that would be great if it extends across different companies. Different companies use them for different things. For us, it is a, we actually put them on real projects, real things, real activities. And to a person, I think they would say that they learn things that they didn't before. Uh, the last intern I was talking to uh, was one of our Princeton interns, Princeton University. And, you know, he just basically said that I worked on so many different things this summer that I have never been exposed to. Ah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. So cool indeed. And I'm sure some of them have been listening to the show today. Eric, we've reached the time of the show now, our espresso round, where the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. So I know you, you like a strong coffee in the morning. You ready for the espresso round? Ready. Brilliant. Thanks, Eric. The espresso round. Eric, uh, what are the characteristics about Transverse that makes it such a great place to work at? We leave politics at the door. It's one of my pet peeves. You do politics, you're probably not going to last long. Um, We actually look at collaborative. I really do think the power of the team works. Nobody has a capture on every idea. And matter of fact, if, you know, we always had a say, if who's down, that's always stayed with me. You have a meeting, you have five people go into it, you have five separate ideas and you merge with the sixth, right? That's the amalgamation of the team. So that's something we very strongly do. We tell our employees to raise their hand and talk to their colleagues, especially if they're overloaded, if they need help, they need an idea, whatever it may be. And then I think very strongly, lastly, would be is that we really try to put intellect and opening our mind to not doing the things always the way everybody's done it. I mean, there are certain reasons why you would, of course, right? But other times you don't have to, Yeah. right? So challenge ourselves and set the bar higher than you think you can set the bar and try to get over it. Great. Um, what opportunities do you provide to high-performing insurance professionals who want to progress in their careers great question i'll just i'll try to answer that in one particular example so we have um for me it's a relatively younger lady who's come into our organization had a nice but beginning background in underwriting we really immediately stuck her into some of our 
um, actually more higher profile type of activities. And then from there, we're already starting to in less than a year, begin to graduate or into sort of part-time business development, as well as the program underwriting. And the reason why it's part-time initially is we want her to succeed, right? So we're mm-hmm. going to make sure she has the right mentorship. Mm-hmm. She's getting the right kinds of help as she's going through different things and begin to do that. We have opportunities for people to take on different roles. Um, ultimately, when we're in Europe, excuse me, I would think that we'd actually be able to have people be in different geographies as well. So we're, we're, we really look at it both from the intellectual capital side, as well as training exercises what would you say are the, the sort of top three skills or behaviors that you demand when recruiting insurance executives into your business? It's a great question. Honesty, integrity, and the ability to say, I don't know. Fantastic. Eric, what is the largest challenge you face when attracting new talent to the organization? What can be the biggest frustration with the recruitment process? It could be very distinct, different sides of the answer. One is... Yeah that they have another option, right? So I think if you're recruiting the appropriate talent, right? So the people yeah. that are really well-skilled, um, analytical, intellectual, have the ability to work with people, so on and so on, they're going to have other options, right? So you have to be able to point to them, not only is transverse a good option, but it's one that you can find your way, yeah. right? And whatever that may be, right? And we're, we're way far from finishing what we want to do. So there's lots of ways that potentially could go. But I always think that that's the case. There always is an option. Then the second side of that is, is from the recruiting standpoint, you've got to feel comfortable that you will make mistakes at times, right? Because not every place is right for everybody. Absolutely. Right? So there's those elements there. You feel bad about it. There's no doubt about it. Any Anyone that hasn't, um, where we've, you know, they're, they're not either here or they've chosen to go somewhere else. We certainly feel bad at some level. But then at the end of the day, that's also right for them. Mm-hmm. So we actually try to make sure that's a human. I think it's great to have that understanding, actually. I think that's, you know, I'm sure that that really does stand you in good stead. And that's probably come from your experience of, you know, hiring, leading people and high performing talent over the years. It doesn't always work out and it doesn't necessarily mean it's one party's fault or the other. It just hasn't quite been the right circumstances or, or particular timing. Eric, final question in the espresso round. If there are any insurance executives out there in the US at the moment considering their next move or their next opportunity, what would your advice be to them? Very very much think about who you are, what you really think you want to do or or get out of it. And it doesn't have to be, I know I have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and after F comes G, right? It could be A and I might go to Z, but I might come back to H. So it doesn't have to be as sequential, but just understand who you are, what kind of strengths do you bring to the game? What areas do you think you can develop in? Because everybody can develop. Yeah. And is this environment in there one that's going to be conducive, right? And then secondarily is really take the time to understand where you're going, right? The interviewing process is not us just to find out about you, but you should be finding out about us. And will you be successful or could you envision yourself being successful in this environment? And I think that's critical, right? Because it is a two-way street, right? Everybody who comes are different. You don't manage to a, you know, person across, you know, certainly executive levels. We're all the same. They're all different, right? So there's certain hot buttons, certain different things, certain skills, certain likes, et cetera. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. That's a fantastic answer. And I think that's great advice for any listeners out there at the moment, just sort of considering things at the moment. It's really about finding that right opportunity that matches both your strengths. But like you say, those, those skills that you want to develop, that experience that you want to develop further as well. It's a, it's a hard thing, but it's, you know, it's worth the time to be introspective at that time. Absolutely. And yeah, it plays off certainly in the the long term, that's for sure. Even if the short term gain 
you know, might might not be apparent. It's that overall long-term career development. We've almost reached the end of our time together, Eric. Before we go there, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and how would they go about contacting you after the show? My one thing that I say, we have a twice weekly internal chat or, or some type of activity, right? So it's a means, especially during COVID, and it will continue to be a way we can communicate. Typically on one day, it's a, it's a round of functional thing. Usually every first Tuesday of the month, I give a talk on strategy. And my, I always wanted to be from that standpoint when I was in the audience listening, I wish I knew more. I don't understand mm-hmm. this or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I try to relay as much as possible unless it, I can't, right? You know, if it's you know, an acquisition or something I just can't talk about. But that's, that's pretty rare, right? So I, I really do fill in a lot of what's going on, where we are our strategy, what we've talked about, how to relate, where are we going? And so there's an element there, but I think the other piece then that goes on the other side of it, we usually do something fun or, or um, as well as growth related, you know, and even fun manners. So it goes, and I always say, uh, typically on that one, set the bar higher than you think. Always set the bar higher than you think you can, right? Because if you set it at a certain point or low, you're, you're, you know, you'll be able to get over it and that's not going to do anything. Yeah. But imagine the transverse, I say, is that if each person set their bar higher than they think and we get to it or you get over it, what happens with transverse? We get over a higher bar as well, right? So it's the collective piece. So I, my only thing is always to somebody is take on those experiences. Go into something you don't know, right? Raise your hand for that project that really scares the heck out of you, right? And go do it, right? You'll not only get out of it stronger and learn, but really take it on. And I think that could be the most beneficial thing, you know, almost any time I think about both. Per, you know, personal life to business life. Absolutely, Eric. That, that's so inspiring. And just think that just go do it attitude is is absolutely fantastic. Eric, yeah, if there are listeners who'd like to hit you up after the show, how would they go about contacting you? I am on LinkedIn. Correct. So you can send a, you know, a message or, or, you know, an invite there. I have to tell people I don't always check it. Sometimes when I'm traveling. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, certainly through my assistant or, you know, an email through there as well too. Uh, for the business and get to me definitely thank you for that eric we'll certainly post those details on the show notes so listeners can can reach out to you after the show eric thank you so much for your time today it's been really great to find out more about your career and and the fantastic work that you're doing there at transverse it sounds like a really exciting stage in the company's progress and sounds like there's a lot of great opportunities there so thank you for joining us today nick i really appreciate it thank you for having me uh yeah we're very bullish it's it's we're having fun Eric, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure a lot of the insurance executives out there listening today would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learnings from what you've had to discuss today and also found out a lot more about what you're doing there at Transverse. To all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there, wherever you are listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in. And I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learning from our guest today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.